0: Hey there, we're so close to a thousand reviews on iTunes. So please, if you enjoy this show, and if you could take one quick moment, click the link below or search for the Darkness Prevails podcast on iTunes and leave us a review. Thanks so much. Work is rough. Imagine working 48 hours a week. You hurt and damage your body more and more every day. Then pay a quarter of what you make to the government. If not more. And by the time you get home each day, you're far too tired from work to enjoy what you used to love. Scary, huh? Well, work can get even scarier. From crazy customers and co workers, to strange creatures or even hauntings. Even a place as rough as work can get much, much worse. These are five disturbing work stories. If you have a scary story, Share it with us at darkstories.org. I'm looking for monsters seen in Canada. Now, let's begin. Grandfather's Goodbye from Nurse Cookies I used to work at an assisted living facility for people with dementia. It was a summer job in the first year of my nursing studies, let me tell you, they do not pay you enough for that crap. I was very quickly put alone in charge of half a floor. Roughly eight old women, all in various stages of different kinds of dementia. Mostly sweet, sometimes temperamental. Meeting them all was pretty much the only positive thing about that job. Otherwise, it was too much work with too little manpower. I think most places like this have their fair share of creepy stories. After all, usually people come there with the full intention of leaving either by ambulance or in a casket. That generates things like this. The great mysticism of death is soon taken away when you work in what is essentially palliative care, but some of it always remains. This place's specialty were the elevators. I was never sure if it was just a joke played to scare the newbies, but these elevators did an inordinate amount of suddenly starting up and stopping at a floor without anyone on them. I suppose one of the other nurses from the other floor could have sent them up, but I really can't see anyone having any free time in that place. From another worker, I heard a story that she had once heard someone get out of the elevator, tell her she was going home. And then get back in the elevator, going down. Night shifts were terrible after stories like that. And besides, the place had enough creepy factor for a horror movie or two. There was one left that creaked its way down into the basement full of little rooms, which we, mostly women under five foot seven, had to check every evening, because we had no on-site security. We usually did it in pairs, At night, there would be three nurses in the house, almost one for every floor. One of us had one and a half floors to deal with. Being alone on the floor, which held up to 16 residents, with decently sized rooms, was not fun. As long as there were things to do, it was alright, but when everyone was sleeping, and tomorrow's meds had been counted, and the breakfast sandwiches had been prepared, it quickly gets uncomfortable. Usually it was just boring, but if your mindset was right, it could be downright terrifying. People with dementia make the weirdest noises in their sleep, too. One night, I was in that mindset. I had just checked the basement alone, because a resident on the floor of the nurse who was supposed to be with me was close to death, and she didn't want to leave him alone. I'd counted the meds, prepared most of the sandwiches, done my rounds. It was close to one, and I was in the kitchen finishing the sandwiches. I'd been busy with the resident, so I was a little behind schedule. The resident had wanted to talk late into the night, and I'd indulged her. Her room was odd. It was very homely. She'd been living there for a while. She never turned the lights off because she hated the dark, for one. Then there was the truly unsettling amount of clocks ticking away unevenly all around her, and in the middle of the room on the coffee table, positioned so she could see it from the bed, was a picture of a gravestone. It had her parents' and siblings' names on it, and an empty space for her name. It unnerved me and the other nurses, but it seemed to calm the old woman down. At every hour, One huge grandfather clock in her room would strike. Anyway, I had torn myself away from there to make my rounds. We did them every two hours, and returned to the sandwiches. I was standing in the kitchen minding my own business, when I heard the lift doors open. I turned, thinking the other two nurses had come down to get coffee with me, and was met with only an empty lift. I confess my heart skipped a beat right then and there. I hated those elevators with a passion, and had never yet had one do that to me when I was alone. It was one thing to have it stop and then to be able to joke about it with the residents, and quite another thing to just be treated to the quiet slide of the opening doors and the emptiness inside. Not to mention, I knew that the gentleman downstairs was dying. To put myself at ease, I called the other nurse and asked her how he was doing. Fine was the answer. Nothing was different. I berated myself for being dumb, thanked her, and went back to slapping ham and cheese on those sandwiches. I was just beginning to relax when I heard the grandfather clock start striking one. I didn't pay much mind to it, until it just would not stop at all. When it had been a full five minutes, I once again abandoned the sandwiches and headed over to the room, where I knew the sound was coming from. I prepared myself to start figuring out how to fix it. But once I was there and saw the clock, I realized it stopped striking. The old woman was on her bed, fast asleep. By then I was well and truly creeped out. I hightailed it out of there. The worst thing was that the sound of the clock began fading back in as soon as the clock was out of view... I hid in the well-lit office until the third nurse came down to have some coffee and a salad. By then, mercifully, the sound had stopped, but the silence wasn't much better. Sometime into our coffee break, the second nurse came in and delivered the news, news that I'd been dreading. The resident had died a little past one, around the same time that clock had struck. This is the first time anything like this has ever happened to me, and I hope it will be the last. But I doubt it. There's something about death, or the spirit of life, that we don't fully understand, and if you work around dying people, these things may happen to you. Paranormal at My Work. From Anonymous. I'm 19, and I've worked for the lumber plant in the next town over in East Texas for about a year now. I work the third shift, 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. on weekends, and 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. on weekdays. I always get an unnerved feeling at night. It started after my training was finished. I have to do rounds inside the plant every so often during the weekend, and once at 3 a.m. on weekdays. I was out one Friday night, doing my round as I always had, when I felt as if I wasn't alone, felt like someone was watching me. And whoever they were, I couldn't see them. And that's when it started. I heard a loud slam on the bottom of the vehicle I used for my rounds. It was so sudden and so loud that I literally screamed at first. I tried to speed out of there as fast as I could, whatever it was, started hitting the top of the car after that. I either lost it or it got bored with me, but it stopped messing with me for the night after I sped away. When I got to the upstairs portion, I started feeling like I was being followed again. I kept hearing someone walking behind me with wooden boards creaking and groaning. I turned to see what it was, but of course I saw nothing. Thinking it was my imagination, I turned around and ventured further into the mill. That's when I got flashes of images of a man who had been burned beyond recognition. A few patches of skin intact. A small patch of black hair, sunken eye sockets without eyelids. I couldn't see a nose, and it had a gap where its lips used to be, with holes in his cheeks. When I saw him, my heart started thudding in my chest, There are cameras in the upstairs part, so I couldn't exactly run in terror without being questioned, so I acted calm and started walking again. I'd heard that spirits can't physically harm you, so I tried to push it out of my mind and kept saying to myself that it was just my imagination. Well, how wrong I was. I began hearing creaking and groaning again, followed by footsteps behind me. I speedwalked to the stairs leading to the ground, and that's when I heard a deafening crash. I spun around but didn't see anything, so I ran down the two flights of metal stairs till my feet touched the concrete beneath the mill. I didn't stop running until I was in the cart and on my way to the next key. The next key was near an old building they don't use anymore. I'd heard that there was something that stands at the back of the long porch in the shadows that liked to stare at you. So I was told how to park where the porch is illuminated by the LED light on the front of the cart. I always feel watched when I'm over there, so I keep my eyes on the part where it's said to be, but I've never seen it, not until that night. This happened on a Saturday, so I didn't really have a set time to do my round. I left out at 2 a.m., I got to the old abandoned office building, and I kept my eyes on the back part of the porch. That was a horrible mistake. I eyed it over to make sure it was undisturbed, and turned to go back to the cart. For some reason, I looked down, but I'm glad I did because nothing could prepare me for what I saw on the other side of the railing. It resembled an old man, and what I imagined a goblin would look like. It was a sickly gray color, and hunched down like it was hiding. Its neck was bent to where its face was looking straight up at me. It had this toothy smile on its face. I looked down to where my legs were, and I saw its scraggly hands attempt to wrap its arms around my legs. I proceeded to run as fast as I could to the cart, getting the heck out of dodge, That was the last time I saw the Burning Man and that goblin, but their images are burned into my head, probably for the rest of my life. I currently work there still, where I always feel watched, and to those of you who say that the paranormal isn't real, or that these two of many other encounters are simply fictional, I dare you to spend a week in my shoes. At the end of the week, I'm sure you'd be a believer as well. they can stop time from username redacted i'm 24 years old and i work in a popular english restaurant it was recently hit by a bizarre event that day started pretty normal i clocked in for my shift changed into my uniform and started doing some work at the computer Work that I was supposed to do over the weekend, but I never got to it. I worked for two hours straight, but then something happened. The mouse and monitor froze. I tried unplugging and plugging them back in, but that didn't work. I tried turning the whole thing on and off, both on the tower and at the wall, but it remained on. Eventually, I figured I'd have to go tell my boss the computer crashed, though it kind of freaked me out that the monitor and mouse remained on, even though I'd unplugged everything. I left the office and headed for the restaurant floor. That was where I saw her last. I opened the door to the restaurant and stopped. According to the clock in our office, it was 12.01, meaning that the lunch rush should be in full swing, as the majority of customers arrive between 11.55 and 12 o'clock As expected, the restaurant was filled with customers, but no one was moving. When I say that no one was moving, I don't mean to say that everyone just was staying in one spot. I mean no one was moving, at all. They were all playing musical statues, and someone had stopped the music. Except, why would they be doing this? It made no sense. As I slowly walked through the seemingly motionless restaurant, I bumped into someone. Turning around, I saw that it was my boss, frozen in the middle of looking at her watch, which, like the clock on the wall, also read 1201. To fully confirm my suspicions, I grabbed the arm of a woman, frozen with a spoonful of soup halfway to her lips, and saw that her watch also said 1201. Scanning the entire restaurant, it did not take a genius to figure out that every watch or clock or timepiece displayed the exact same moment in time. To say that I was at a loss was an understatement. I mean, the first thought going through my head was that this paralysis was the result of food poisoning or gas inhalation. But that theory went out the window once I began seeing things Things that I was sure were beyond the fire brigade and ambulance services jurisdiction. On the table next to the soup woman sat a couple. The man was frozen in the middle of cutting a steak, and the woman, maybe his wife, fiancé, girlfriend, whatever, she was frozen in the middle of pouring water into her glass. The weird thing about this was that the water had stopped moving as well frozen in between the jug and the glass. Near the kitchen, one of my colleagues, Maisie, had frozen in the middle of lighting some candles for a couple out on a date. The flames on the candles and the match held in Maisie's hand stood rigid, like soldiers on parade, and a table occupied by a family, the boy had frozen with his head back and his mouth open. Looking up, I saw a single pea, suspended in midair, like it was attached to a piece of string. I was just coming out of the kitchen, having checked on the staff in the kitchen, when I heard the front doorbell sound. Curious as to who was seemingly unaffected by this strange phenomenon, I peeked around the corner and had to stifle a gasp. Standing in the entryway were two things. Upon first glance, They could be mistaken for humans, but looking closer, they weren't. For starters, they were two feet taller than everyone else in the restaurant. Their skin was so tight, it looked like their ribs would burst out of their bodies. It was their eyes that really made me feel uncomfortable. They were thin, narrow slits, black as ink, as if there was nothing within them they looked around at the frozen staff and customers, then made a sort of low, rasping sound. Call me crazy, but I think they found the sight funny. As I watched, they split and began to flank the frozen people, getting close to them, sniffing their hair, skin, and clothes, prodding them with their long, bony fingers. What they did next really took me by surprise. To my horror, I watched as one of them stopped next to the soup woman and sniffed her, It then sniffed her soup and made that strange rasping sound again, before picking up the soup bowl and placing it upside down on the woman's head. I honestly didn't know what to do, besides standing still, I figured these creatures were likely behind everyone being frozen too, and I had no idea what they'd do to me if they found out that I was still moving. So I simply watched. I watched as they moved the woman with the water, placing her arm in such a way that she was pouring the water on her head. Then they blew at the candles and match Maisie was holding, setting them up to blow out as soon as time restarted. I watched one of them part a couple who had been frozen as they were about to kiss. It took all my strength not to cringe as it began to place its mouth over the man's mouth, imitating some sort of disgusting kiss. The creature went up to a woman then, who'd frozen mid-sneeze. But the creature didn't mind. What it did next makes me shudder. It placed its mouth over her nose and began to devour whatever was inside. Mucus, of course. The woman was lucky that she had no idea what was happening to her. The creature's next target was my boss. One of them examined the collection of pens and pencils she kept in her top pocket, while the other examined her trousers. I watched as the first creature plucked a black sharpie from out of her pocket, began to rasp again as I continued to watch, not even daring to blink in case they saw me. The creature popped the lid off the sharpie, sniffing it, and then finding out what the object did by running it over my boss's face, leaving a big black trail. Seemingly satisfied, it then placed the sharpie in my boss's hand, stepping back and taking in the scenery. It had apparently loosened her trousers, setting her up for some embarrassment. Whilst I'd been watching them, I failed to realize that they'd gone through most of the restaurant, which meant it was my turn. The creatures turned toward me, pacing around me. I was using every ounce of strength I had not to move, not to give myself away. Seeing as they thought I was frozen like everyone else, I realized I was going to have to let them do what they liked with me. I held my breath and kept as motionless as possible. It was extremely difficult to just not move my pupils. They placed food on me, turning my clean garb into a mess of a get-up. Once everyone in the restaurant had been vandalized in some way, the creatures finally left, and I waited a few seconds before I dared to move and started sorting myself out. No sooner had I wiped as much of the cream off my head as possible... Everyone in the restaurant suddenly started up again. I think it's fair to say the restaurant immediately broke out into chaos. The lady with the water screamed as water cascaded onto her head. The soup woman was about to put the spoon in her mouth when her pea soup landed all over her. Maisie sighed as the candles and the match went out, and the kissing couple gagged as they began to feel the effects of the beast's saliva and the woman who'd been sneezing continued before pulling at her nose, sniffing hard. My boss, pulling up her trousers, did not see her own predicament, with the sharpie on her face, but due to the chaos around her, no one else seemed to care either. It's been a couple of days since this, and so far things have been normal. My boss managed to smooth things out with the customers, and I haven't seen anything weird for a while. Time definitely hasn't stopped again. Well, as far as I know. The following story was labeled a creepypasta. They found something buried underneath. From M. Jean Romeo. I've been working at my local university for a little under a year now. A few months back, we moved out of our old office building onto the fifth floor of another. The purpose of the move was to allow builders to begin work on demolishing our old building, along with three other buildings on the campus. This was a part of the university's redevelopment plan, ahead of this Cultural City Award they are nominated for and could possibly win in 2021. I didn't know there was such a thing either until I started working there. Anyway, by the time we moved, they had already started work on one of the older buildings. It used to house what was called the School of Life Sciences, but had been left vacant even before I started working there. Looking out the window of our new office, I have a clear view of the demolition site. One weekend, they closed off the road to start bringing down the building. So when I came back into work the following Monday... I was surprised to see that they had just demolished the middle section of the building. It looked pretty funny, actually, as though someone had split the building down the middle and the two halves had started to drift away from each other. It wasn't long after that that I began to hear rumors. One lunchtime, I'd been set in our communal kitchen canteen area, just eating my lunch and messing around on my phone as I do every lunchtime. I caught snippets of a conversation some of my work colleagues were having a couple of tables away. I craned my ear closer, trying to listen. Apparently, builders had uncovered bones buried a couple of feet down beneath the ground of the demolition site. That, in and of itself, was a creepy discovery, but for whatever reason, the university had decided to keep the news under wraps, or so at least the stern-looking slightly older of the two claimed. The other woman, a rather meek-looking person with a round face that belied her age, was listening to the other's story with rapt attention. The older of the two continued, and explained that she started to ask around campus to find out more. Supposedly, a couple of the university's science professors had been called onto the scene, and had been asked to look at the remains. They believed the bones were of five people, possibly two women and three children, It was at this point in her story that both of the women suddenly turned to look at me. I had drifted closer still to their table without realizing it. They both frowned at me, gathered up their things, and bustled out of the room. I watched them retreat with the frown of my own, but soon I dismissed it. Workplaces are known for being rumor mills, after all, so I didn't really put much stock in the gossip of two middle-aged women. As the weeks passed, the rumors continued. Even my own manager was fascinated by the discovery, and started coming up with her own theories. Something she mentioned, though, did grab my attention, and I asked her to further explain. Around 50 years ago, and importantly in the middle of the life sciences building being constructed, there were stories in the local news of a cult that had come to the city. The papers warned not to associate or get involved with them, as they were believed to be Satanists. It was also while the cult resided in the city that there were a string of disappearances. Young men and women going out to meet their friends one evening and never returning, young children being snatched on their way home from school. Eventually, the building construction finished, and with it, all traces of the cult vanished, and no one else disappeared. Though sadly, they never managed to find all those missing people. I was fascinated by this tale. And when I got home that night, I did my own research about the city. In the year that the cult lived in the city, 30 people went missing, all traces of them apparently gone. Many people claimed to have seen members of the cult camping out in the local wooded areas, where they could be found dressed in dark robes and dancing around a burning fire. Some said it was all made up, that there was no cult at all, but none could explain the disappearances. As the years had passed, it seemed the city had all but forgotten about this time, until now. The demolition of the remainder of the building continues, and I often find myself watching the workmen from my office window. Every now and then, I get this strange feeling in the bit of my stomach, as though I'm not the only person doing the watching. As I look out the window and train my eyes on the building, I could swear someone is looking back at me. I wish I could say this is where the story ends, but it's not. In the last three weeks, two students have gone missing. Supposedly, they were two friends who thought it would be funny to sneak into the demolition site at night, to see if they could find any bones or spirits. They took a larger group of friends with them, who waited outside of the restriction zone as the two boys climbed over the barrier. As the other waited, around ten minutes passed, and they all grew worried. Just as another boy was about to go over the barrier to check if his friends were okay, they all heard an inhuman scream and the sound of rubble falling. The rest of the group ran away scared and only thought to call the police once they were a good distance away. Both boys had been crushed by a crumbling support beam they had walked under. The tragedy was deemed an accident, the result of two reckless young men. The university was closed for a few days, after that, out of respect for the two boys who had lost their lives. When it reopened, you could see the unease on everyone's faces. We're all trying to just continue on with our lives, but I can't help but wonder, was the beam falling really an accident, or have we somehow unearthed some vengeful spirits? I mean, no one really knows who those bones belong to. And one other thought keeps lurking at the back of my mind. One I try not to think about too much. Maybe, just maybe, that cold from 50 years ago has come back for round two. Welp, it's time for me to clock out. Here's to hoping the drive home from work isn't full of ghosts and ghouls and two meter tall kangaroos more ripped than prime Dwayne Johnson. I mean, the last thing I need after a long day of work is to have my shiz kicked in by one big bouncy boy. If you think I'm joking, just take a look at Australia. Good night. If you enjoyed this episode of Darkness Prevails, be sure to like, share, comment, and subscribe. If you have your own story, I'm looking for stories about Canadian monster sightings. Share them with us at darkstories.org. If you want to support the show, check out my merch store and Patreon in the description. Well, that may be all for these stories, but more are on the way, so stay tuned for the next episode. Until then, here are the credits to my amazing patrons who continue to donate and support the show. Remember, stay safe out there, and stay creepy. Because this world is a strange one. The following story contains disturbing scenes concerning animals and pets. If this is outside your comfort zone, click away. I used to go jogging in front of my house. You could say I was just uncomfortable running too far from home. You see, I preferred to run around dark. But we lived in these pseudo-suburbs, and we didn't have a streetlight anywhere close. And by pseudo-suburb, I mean miles of rolling hills and forest on the tail end of interspersed houses. Past our house, there ain't nothing for miles. Nothing but trees, that is. You can call me cowardly. You could even call me superstitious or afraid of the dark but I wasn't about to stray too far from the lights of our front porch at night. So the 20 meters from our mailbox to the cable box on the side of the road became my track. Back and forth, run a few minutes, walk several, repeat. This kept me in shape, feeling good, and gave me a chance to catch up with all my podcasts that I listened to thanks to the wireless earbuds my wife had gotten me for my birthday. These earbuds even had sound pass-through. It wasn't perfect, but I could hear a muffled version of the sounds around me, even while listening to my music or podcasts. It was good stuff, but all of this added to the horrific reason I don't go jogging anymore. It started last year when winter was beginning to give way to spring. The ground was constantly wet, caking the bottoms of my joggers with mud as I bounded, out of breath, up and down the unpaved road. I was getting winded sooner than usual that night, probably due to eating too much at dinner earlier. This meant I should probably do a few more back and forths than call it a night. As I approached the cable box again and began to turn on my heel to walk back to the mailbox, I caught a distinct sound through my earbud pass-through that I nearly shrugged off as the peripherals causing distortion or warping some mundane noise around me into this eerie resonance. I paused. It was already troubling enough to turn my back on the dark, meandering road beyond but this sound immediately increased my heart rate, even though I had no idea what it was or where it was coming from. Convincing myself that it was just some sort of breakage from the hit-or-miss pass-through, I stepped forward, but then I paused once more. The sound came again, a low rumbling enveloped in static. At this, I pulled the earbuds from my head and scanned my surroundings. I couldn't see much. Human eyes are terrible for seeing in the dark, and the nearby porch light kept them from adapting completely to the blackness around me. But my ears heard it clearly. The static within the noise was gone now that my earbuds weren't in. It was a low, rumbling sound an odd frequency that made my ribs vibrate with it. I had turned around completely then, now facing the dark, winding road past the cable box. But looking along the road was my mistake, as the noise was coming from the trees. Coming from above me, actually. My eyes scoured the branches to the left and to the right, some hanging over the road others daring not reach too far. When I found myself staring into two congruent stars in the cloudy night sky, I knew that I was not alone. Those weren't stars, they were eyes. Sitting upon a short, thick branch of an ancient oak tree was a figure which itself reminded me of trees and branches, sharp, angular bits protruding from it. It was nothing more than a silhouette and eyes from my perspective, though, but I could hear the rumbling coming from it, and I could see the twinkle of its eyes fade in and out as it blinked. It was something alive, something large, something bizarrely shaped. I backed away, carefully guiding myself back to the driveway without looking away from the entity. But halfway back, The rumbling stopped, and the starlight eyes looked away at last. Had I intruded on its space? I'd walked this road a hundred times before, but I'd never witnessed such a thing. This was my space, my territory. Yet there I stood, trembling and still walking backward in my own driveway, terrified and baffled. Back inside, I peeled the sweaty shirt from myself and quickly shared the experience with my wife. How big was it? Was her first question. Well, I didn't have the greatest view of the thing, I admitted, But it reminded me of a crouched man, if they were wearing a ghillie suit. Hmm. She thought for a moment. Probably a possum, Maybe it looked weird because its silhouette overlapped some branches and foliage. made it look bigger. She'd always been a voice of reason, and though I didn't like the idea of her just disbelieving me before anything else, I did find comfort in the idea that what I saw was completely natural, explainable, or benign. The following morning, as I had the day off, I went for a morning jog. I would be running up that meandering road thanks to the bravery afforded me by daylight. But before I took off, I wanted to investigate the spot where I'd seen that supposed possum. It wasn't hard to find, though. There was, under the branch I'd seen it, a great red splatter and tufts of matted grey-brown fur. Judging from the remains I'd found in the leaves nearby... It appeared to be someone's dog, perhaps a German or Dutch shepherd. I ran back inside the house. My wife was at work at the time, but she had a DSLR camera with a lens that had some amazing optical zoom. After finding it, I ran back outside, careful not to step in that mess. I peered through the camera up at the branch where that thing had been sitting. I swallowed hard. There were red stains on the bark, as well as deep holes gouged into the branch. Even if a possum could devour a German shepherd, I was sure that they didn't have talons so big and they could stab deep, eyeball-sized holes into wood. After taking some pictures to show my wife, I placed the camera back inside and went the opposite direction for my morning run. I didn't like jogging where my neighbors were, but at least it felt safer. When I had told my wife and showed her the pictures, she then believed it was some kind of mountain lion, which I was then convinced of too. A couple of nights later, I felt courageous enough for another just-after-sundown jog. Back and forth I went again, getting my heart rate up in a jiffy as I felt in a good mood to run. My earbuds were in, the air was almost warm, and the ground was dry. It was nearly a perfect night for it. As I was listening to a new podcast i discovered, an episodic serial killer series of all things, I suddenly felt my chest vibrating. The tickling sensation immediately sent me into a panic, I only realized then that my pass-through was turned off. I then remembered that I reset the earbud application recently, causing my settings to reset as well. I stopped in my tracks and yanked out the earbuds. I looked instinctively to that branch. But I did not see eyes or a silhouette this time. Nothing out of place over there. When my chest vibrated again, I now heard the sound that caused it. Instead of a rumbling, it sounded like a low growl, a dog's growl. Searching the forest floor around the road, I soon saw eyeshine. It was, in fact, a dog, a German shepherd, and immediately I wanted to vomit. It was peering from around a nearby tree. Its eyes were completely motionless, lifeless, never blinking and worst of all, its jaw seemed far too slack and open, sickeningly loose as if it was broken or lodged out of place. Even still, it seemed to shift or pulsate as it growled intermittently. I didn't want to believe what I was looking at. It looked exactly like some sick freak was using a dog's head to taunt me from behind that tree. But the sound that was coming from there, it wasn't human, not even close, and I could vaguely make out sharp claws holding on to the bottom of the poor dog's skull. It wasn't human, and it wasn't taunting me either, it was luring me. It wanted me in those woods, and all I wanted was to stay inside for the rest of my life. I didn't hesitate. I took off back to my house in a full sprint. The moment I looked back during my run, that one moment when I couldn't help but want to know if I was being chased then, a blunt pain shot over my face as a sickening wet slap reverberated around me. I wiped the fluid from my watering eyes and held my nose as it felt broken. Then, I nearly tripped. The dog's head was below me, that creature had thrown a dog's severed head at me. As I stood there, stunned and injured, I nearly didn't hear the rapid quadrupedal footsteps racing towards me from behind, as well as deep, raspy panting. Panting that caused my ribs to vibrate. I tried to scream as I carried myself up the slight hill to my front door, and the moment I shut that door, a violent clawing could be heard from just outside. The rumbling erupted again too, causing my chest to vibrate more violently than ever. It no longer tickled or felt strange, it hurt, causing me to scream. My wife watched in shock too scared to ask any questions. After the sounds died down, I sat on the couch for the remainder of the night, holding my wife close after she helped me with my broken nose. After this incident, my wife and I are looking into moving quite seriously. This was our first home purchase, a place I thought we'd grow old in. I can't tell you how awful this feeling is, Being driven from your home by something you can't explain. Being so horrified and dominated by something outside of your control and understanding. Something no one else believes. I don't know if there's more than one of them, but if you see the signs, stay indoors at night. When dogs go missing or are killed in your neighborhood, When you see the starry eyes in the trees, when there are deep gouges in the tree branches, move. But lurking within the vast swaths of green forests and snowy landscapes lie creatures that defy explanation. Creatures with a taste for blood and maple syrup. Get ready. These stories are chilling and terrifying. Enjoy these tales of people who have encountered bizarre Canadian monsters. If you have a story of your own, I'd love to narrate it. Shared with us at darkstories.org. I'm looking for scary stories from Africa. Now, let's begin. Something tried to destroy me. From Freddy Aluminum. I'm an Australian guy living in British Columbia, Canada. I moved in October of 2019 just to have a bit of an adventure. I had never seen snow before, so I had been looking forward to this up and coming season all year. I now work for a ski resort in the middle of nowhere, well nowhere as far as you're concerned. I won't say where, but the mountains are giant and gorgeous, covered in snow-dusted trees for months on end and beyond cold. It was completely different to the heat of southeast Queensland. The snow can get up to 6 feet deep here on occasion so I've had to learn all the rules most Canadians have imprinted on them since birth. Don't walk under icicles, don't walk home drunk, don't leave trash out, etc. The colder parts of Canada can be really dangerous, but I never once expected I would have such a horrifying encounter with something that I cannot explain. It was only a few days back. It had just snowed very heavily the night before, I'm talking 70 to 80 centimeters on top of the fresh snow already on the ground. If you don't know what that's like, it's scary. You can walk right up to second story windows in some cases. These are serious amounts of snow. I had been drinking that day with some buddies in the village when I decided to turn in for the night. Must have been minus 17 degrees Celsius outside. But I was so drunk I barely felt the wind and breeze at all. To get home, I have to walk through a small woodland area for about 15 minutes, very dense with trees. It is super dark even in daylight, so at night, I had to use my phone torch and I was stumbling through the knee deep snow coating the small walking track. I could only see a few feet in front of me, and I could only see the outlines of the surrounding trees. I was ten minutes in when I stopped, hearing something. I strained my ears to listen more closely. It sounded like a little girl saying help. It was a soft and fearful voice, somewhere off in the trees to my right. I called back with a hello, pointing my phone torch in the direction of the soft voice. Who's there? I called out. Please, help me. The voice whined. I've hurt my legs. A sound of choking back tears is faintly heard. Now I've seen enough movies and read enough stories to know that following voices into the trees is a bad idea, but there was something about this voice. It sounded so genuine, so frightened, as if a little girl was just outside the range of my vision, freezing to death in the snow. So, of course, I don't stand and do nothing. I call out again. Hey, uh, can you walk? Where are you? I can come get you. I began turning around in the snow, plowing closer to the edge of the walking track, torch searching through the wall of tall pine trees. I keep edging when I spot a small figure, just close enough to see her silhouette. She was peeking out from behind a nearby pine tree. Hey, don't be afraid. I spoke to her softly, bending down closer. Suddenly, my eyes met hers, and immediately I realized something wasn't right. Now, they weren't glowing or anything like that, but I can't quite explain it well. Her eyes were milky, like spiders' eyes, like they were alive but they had nothing within them. They seemed soulless. I leaned in closer to the base of the pine tree, maybe three meters away from me, when suddenly I got too close. I fell face first into the snow. Those of you who spend time in places that have heavy snow probably know what happened. I forgot the most important rule of all, Plunging headfirst into the deepest tree well I had ever seen, I was immediately engulfed in a powder snow, tipped further upside down. As I slipped in deeply, I could hear a high pitched cackle of a female voice. I tried to breathe and scream, but snow forced itself into my mouth. I began to choke and writhe. I was panicking, trying to spin around and find my bearings, kicking out and finding something to grab. As I freaked out, I felt myself slip further down, only making my emotions worse. The snow collapsed around me, making a dense compact, holding my feet above my head and making it harder to move. I was still choking on snow, my head was pounding from all the blood being pulled downwards. A scary thought kept going through my mind, that this might be the end of my story. I knew I wasn't getting out of this one. My vision began to blur, and my movements became more and more sapping, when all of a sudden, I felt a hand grab me by my jacket, wrenching me out of there, and into freedom. I gasped in the crisp alpine, and heaved on the ground, tears streaming down my face. I looked up and saw one of my mates, Frasier, breathing heavily, Turns out he had seen me fall into the snow, sprinting 30 meters in deep powder to help me back out. This man had saved my life. As I pulled my mess of a self back together, he asked me what the bloody hell I was thinking, walking into the wilderness in the middle of the night drunk. But I had to tell him about the girl first. I tried to point out where she had been standing. But she wasn't anywhere to be seen. What's more, there weren't any tracks at all in the snow, leading away from the pine tree. Just the mere hole that I'd made. I don't know what she was, that inhuman little girl, but it tried to have me drowned. If it wasn't for my mate, I sure would have been dead. I hope one day I can get over this experience, but for now... It seems I have dreams of her often. Dreams of what would have happened if Frazier was only a few minutes late. What was she? If you have an answer, I'd love to know. North Saskatchewan River Creature. From Succulent.Coral. I'm from a very small town in Saskatchewan, Canada. I've lived here all my life, and I've never seen anything too abnormal until this year. It was only after hearing that you were looking for Canadian stories that I decided to finally speak up about my experiences. Almost every weekend, my friend Erica and I always go to the ski hill near here and work on our snowboarding skills, We usually go around 2pm, so we have about 2 hours to snowboard before it gets too dark and cold out, since the sun usually sets around 4 here in the winter. A couple of months ago, we were doing this very thing and had a good day. The ski hill is about an hour from our town, so by the time we had finished, which was about 3.45pm, it was starting to get dim. We hopped into my little car and started to drive back. About 45 minutes later, we were getting close to home, and it was already pretty dark outside. Our town is kind of in the middle of nowhere, and everyone in Canada knows Saskatchewan is very barren and flat. So it was a very vast, remote area, and no one was on the highway. The roads were bad that night, due to fast winds, so we had to slow down a lot on the highway, which was giving both of us anxiety. The two of us were 17 and have never gotten into an accident before, nor had we ever wanted to, of course. At one point, there was a very snowy part at the vacant highway, and we had to slow down even more. That's when a figure leapt out onto the road and stopped just at the edge of my headlights' reach. Erica screamed, and I gasped, holding my breath as I slammed onto the brakes. This caused us to fishtail, I barely managed to regain control of the vehicle, but we came to a stop just in front of the figure. I immediately looked at it, and at first glance I truly thought it was just a deer. But as I took in more detail, it looked all wrong. It was massive. I've seen deer around here many times before, too many to count, and I live in a hunting community. So I just knew this wasn't any normal deer from around here. It had long limbs, and its antlers were huge. But not only were its limbs long, they were just so disfigured, it seemed painful. It's hard to explain, but it just looked injured. I wasn't sure how it leapt in front of us with ease and grace like it had. And like any normal deer around here would do at the sight of a vehicle... I expected the thing to run back into the ditch or something, but it just stood there, not moving a muscle. Everything about the situation felt so wrong, and yes, I know deer can be captivated in headlights and not move, but this creature, it showed no signs of fear. It didn't even look to be breathing. It simply stared at us with cold, unblinking eyes. Its whole presence just felt evil, life-threatening even. Its bones were jutting out from everywhere under its skin. Some parts even looked to be decayed. Erika and I didn't say a word. We couldn't look away from it. After what seemed like a few minutes, it just walked off. Not running or frolicking, it just walked calmly back into the ditch in the opposite direction it had come from. It then disappeared on the other side of the transcan. The two of us exchanged shaky looks, and she was the first to say a word at all. What the hell was that? She said. But I didn't really know what to tell her. We talked about it on the rest of the way home and decided maybe it was just a weird, intense, injured deer. Definitely a first around here. Both of us do believe that some cryptids exist, but I think it was for our own sanity that we explained this away somehow, you know? I thought that would be it. Thought that I'd never see it again. Unfortunately, I was wrong. About a week ago, my dad and I were playing around and exploring on our skidoos just up by the North Saskatchewan River, and we had just gotten down to the bank to see if the ice was thick enough to ride on. My dad drove his skidoo down first to test it, and soon came back up onto the bank to ask if I wanted to try the ice. I refused, since I was still very new to this and I didn't want to try it yet. He agreed and we decided to go along the bank more, exploring a bit further. We soon came to some thicker trees and pines when we began to smell something a little off. It wasn't very powerful, but it also just smelled really bad. It was clearly something rotting, but we were in a snowy area where everything was supposed to smell clean. My dad went a little further ahead than me, and I thought maybe it was just a skunk, something normal. I went on ahead after him, following my dad's tracks, watching the trees a bit, and that's when I saw it again, that same creature, walking in the same direction I was headed. It was pretty far back in the trees, but you could still tell how massive it was from that distance. All the features from the two months before were still present, if not a little more, worsened. It didn't do anything but walk, fading into the deep and thicker trees, in a weird waddle sort of fashion, and I haven't seen it since. Erica and I have told our closest friends about this, and I don't think they believe us, but I really want to know what it is. I do know a basic amount of things about cryptids, but maybe this is some kind of normal or mutant deer or something. Uh, who knows? Even if there's a normal explanation, it's terrifying. I've no idea if I should be concerned, or just continue to try to tell myself it's a weird mutated deer, as if that makes me feel any better. Three in the morning, from Descendant from a Family of Shaman. I'm from the northwest of Ontario, Canada. My reserve is called Kachinamakusip-Aninawak, also known as People by the Lake in our native language. It is said we are the third largest community up north of Ontario. That being said, we have different areas, such as downtown and West Bay. Both are on the island, and the land is connected by a long stretched road. Across that is the creek and mainland area. I lived in West Bay at the time, coming back from town. I had finished visiting with friends earlier in the night. I was ready to get home. I left their house in town around 2.30. By the time I arrived at the main road intersection, it was about 3. There's a main road that goes around the reservation, and there are roads connecting to it, the first of which is called Chiefsfield Road. Now, the entire time I'd been walking... I had not seen another person out, nor had I seen a vehicle on the road for that matter. As I was passing Chief's Filled Road, I felt a sensation in my gut, like someone was watching me. Sure enough, when I glanced up that road, I saw a figure wearing a dark black hood. They seemed to be staring in my direction. I was feeling friendly, so I called out to them. Hey, you got a smoke? I was having a craving. I did not receive a response, so I continued walking. But I paid close attention to the sounds around me, making sure I knew whether that person was about to move. Sure enough, as I walked on, I could hear them walking after me, quickly and stumbling, like they were drunk and were looking for a fight. I stopped at the bottom of the road and glanced back. That figure seemed to be following me. I turned to continue walking, and sure enough the footsteps only got faster, catching up to me. I stopped on three more occasions, and after a time when I glanced back, it stopped. We both stood there, seemingly staring at each other. I got mad and swore at the figure, threatening to fight if they didn't stop, but it was then that I saw its face. There was just enough light to make out that its skin was all black, like solid nighttime black. I wanted to speak again, but it spoke instead, saying the same threats to me in the same manner and same voice. It walked a little bit closer, soon revealing more of itself from a nearby light. It was like I was looking in a mirror. Its face was like mine but completely black. What I was looking at wasn't actually human. I was certain of it. It was some sort of spirit or creature, something evil. I took off towards some streetlights. I made it maybe 10 feet in the middle of the lights, and I stopped to look back to see if this thing would follow me, but it just stood there at the edge. I called out, asking it what it was telling it to come into the light. I needed to see more of it. I needed to see if I could understand what it was. I stepped backward, further into the lights. But it did as well, which meant it was moving further away. And as it moved, I saw it smile, revealing white, sharp, abnormal-looking teeth, before disappearing into the dark. I didn't know what to do or say then, but I was so shocked and creeped out that I ran. I was already out of energy, but I ran anyway. My grandma's house was closer to anyone else's that I knew of, but her place was still about five houses down. Adrenaline kicked in, and after looking back one more time and seeing nothing, I started to run. But then I heard the sound of flapping wings above me, Something massive was just overhead, following me, just as that figure did before, and I couldn't help but think that they were one and the same. By the time I made it to my grandma's driveway, I was exhausted, stopping my heavy feet up the pavement. Eventually, my scared grandma opened the door after I was knocking like a madman. When she saw me, she was relieved for a moment. I think she assumed I was on something, Yet, sadly, I was completely sober. I let her know what happened, that something scary and unexplainable was following me. She let me in as I explained. As we sat in her living room, discussing what was going on, we suddenly stopped because someone walked up the front steps of her porch. They stopped at the door, but never knocked, never rang the doorbell. They simply stood there, probably listening. After a while, we just turned on the TV, using the noise and the images to distract us. Plus, deep down, I didn't want it to know that I knew it was there. The next day, my grandma called my mother and told them to never let me out too late again and to avoid letting me out by myself whenever possible. To this day, I still don't know what or how all that happened. Whatever it was, truly wasn't human. And I think it tried to take me. The Thing That Chased Us from V This happened in Ontario, Canada, to my friends and I. When my friends and I were in grade 9, We used to go into a forest next to our old elementary school to hang out. We would dirt bike, build forts, play card games, drink and climb trees. The usual teenage stuff. The day this happened, we were climbing trees, seeing how far we dared to climb up the dead trees, then jump down, all while praying that we didn't break our necks. Yeah, we were weird, even reckless. One of my braver friends, C., decided it would be a smart idea to climb up a dead tree that was leaning against another tree, to see if he could get to the top. My other friend Leon and I decided that we did not have a death wish like he did, so we stayed perched on another dead tree watching our idiot friend. Now, I want to say that I've always gotten these strange feelings about things. I practice Wicca, and I'm personally a witch of draconic Wicca, but the point is, I get these feelings. They are like warnings when something is about to happen, when something supernatural is nearby, when we're in danger. Call it a sixth sense. I'm the firstborn female of a firstborn female, and so on. I'm the seventh firstborn female in the generation, which makes for a very female-dominated family tree. But we believe seven is a powerful number, similar to the number six in Christianity. The seventh witch, which is myself, has the strongest connection to the supernatural on par with the first witch, who started the generation, my really great-grandmother. I'm called a high priestess, the reincarnation of my grandmother's mother, which only makes these feelings stronger and more absolute. Now, I know everything I just explained doesn't sound real. As fake as witches who fly on broomsticks and crowd around a black cauldron saying bubble bubble toil and trouble is... I didn't believe it at first, either. Anyway, while C was climbing further up the tree, one of these feelings came over me, like someone brushing a feather down my back. It was telling me that my friends and I were in danger. Which was odd. It was when I was pondering the strangeness of my feeling, C disappeared into the canopy of the tree, and Leon and I lost sight of him. V, I remember Leon saying to me, something's not right. The air is stale, the birds are quiet, something feels wrong. It took me a minute, but he was right. There was a sinking feeling in my stomach as I looked around. Everything was still. Then that feeling against my back returned, followed by a tingling sensation against my pocket. To my relief, it wasn't a claw trying to get at my wallet. It was just my phone. As every impulsive teenager who lives off their device does, I pulled out my phone, saw that it was a message, and opened it. It was from my Wiccan friend Red, and it simply said, You need to leave now. I was taken aback. I knew that Red was quite intuitive. They practiced spiritual Wicca, and were very in tune with the elements. This confirmed my suspicion that something was wrong. I responded, What do you mean? She confessed, I had sent a protection spell with you, and felt that you were in danger. I still feel it. Where are you? Although I was flattered that Red had cared enough to spiritually stalk me, I was still somewhat suspicious. I remember looking around, they didn't live near me, so I was getting a little worried how they knew about our situation. Maybe she was right. So I replied. I'm at the park in the old forest. Leave, they told me. It's not safe right now. At this point, I was super glued to my phone. I had lost track of C and was completely immersed in this conversation. When suddenly, I was pulled from my device's grip when Leon and I heard a loud thud. It was the breaking of branches, and something landing in the bushes about maybe fifteen meters away. I nearly fell off the tree I was sitting on. I was so spooked. My shock was only dampened when I saw C sprinting, cuts all over his arms and legs from falling into the bush, pale as a ghost and terrified. Get out of that freaking tree! Now! He called up to us. Leon looked puzzled, but I could see anxiety bubbling as he looked at C. Well, don't just stand there, C demanded with fearful irritation in his tone. We need to get out of here. Why? Leon called, while beginning to slowly shimmy down the trunk of the tree. There's there's something here, C breathed, glancing back in the direction he came from. Crap, C cussed as he began to move away leon moved fast down the tree but i was frozen my phone was buzzing in my hand as messages from red poured in their warnings falling on deaf ears as i saw a dark hairy shape hidden in the green ferns something smelled off and my heart lurched as i saw a twitch in our direction for a moment i swear to god we made eye contact and just as it began to move towards us c grabbed me by the ankles and hauled me down the tree and to the ground. Quickly, I scrambled to my feet, as I heard twigs breaking and branches being pushed out of the way. Out of fear, we all bolted as fast as we could. We thundered over thorny ankle-biting bushes, broke branches, and ran through many spider webs to get out of the forest. But when we got out, we were trapped. Where I live... The park and the forest are right next to a beach, which is a decent 10 meter drop and there was no way in heck we were going to freaking swim to safety or hide by the rocks at the beach. My grandma's house, Leon panted as we all sprinted down the trail towards civilization. It's the closest. There were no objections. We were all too scared to think of a decent plan. I felt my lungs burn for air as I pushed to keep up with my more athletic friends. I was never lazy, but I was no spring chicken. I am and always will be a short distance runner. So when I felt my pace begin to slow, I pushed even harder. Fearing for your life can make you do amazing things. We raced into Leon's grandmother's property. We all knew that she was snowbirding in Florida and would be away for the remainder of the cold months. We scrambled to the back door, which thankfully Leon had the spare key to and we tumbled over each other to get inside. Now, we've seen horror films, and we thought we knew the best way to survive them. Number one on that survival list was to lock down the house, so we bolted to every door to lock it, as well as every window. It was in that time that I finally acknowledged my phone again. I had missed several texts from Red, and a few calls from them too, so I called back. Thank God, V, you're alive, they said. What happened? Are you okay? I explained everything to Red in as much detail as I could muster at the time. I was shaking both from overexertion and adrenaline, and after thinking about it, Red surprised me again. Get all the candles in the house and put them at every entrance to the house. Just trust me. C interjected. But your grandma doesn't have many candles. He had clearly crashed here many times before when he got drunk at a party, and needed a place to be hungover at. Leon's grandma was a sweet old lady after all. There's the herb garden, Leon suggested. Perfect, said Rhett. Go get all the sage you can find then. And as if instructed by a general, Leon did so without complaint, returning with enough to make a small shrubbery out of the sage. Then we locked down the door and went upstairs to hide in the office. There was only one window and one door there, plus that door locked, so we figured it'd be safe. But for my personal safety, I decided to have the boys stay nearest to the door. I'd sooner jump out of a window that is two stories in the air before I let myself become dinner. Then again, we had no idea what was chasing us. Once we were huddled into the office... I hung up the phone with Red, and we took a moment to breathe. What the hell was it? She asked, his voice barely hovering above a whisper. I don't know, Leon responded. It felt like a monster from a horror film. Or maybe it was some drug-addicted psychopath who was broke and looking for some fresh teenagers to sell in the black market so he could buy more drugs, I stated, with an irritated amount of sarcasm. I was starting to get frustrated at this point. What if this was some elaborate prank? What if some jerk had decided to dress up as Bigfoot and wait in the tree line for a while to send some unsuspecting passers by into the afterlife for a laugh? Then we all froze. Something had opened the back gate and closed it. We stayed as silent as a church when we heard heavy footsteps against the garden path in the backyard and then we heard the distinct sound of jiggling doorknobs, the sound of something touching the windows. Whatever was stalking us was looking for us, and was checking every entrance in the house to get inside. I knew it, I thought to myself. It's some murderer, and we're about to be killed. Guys? Leon whispered, cutting through my pessimistic thoughts. What? I responded. Who locked the basement door? My heart sank as we looked at each other all silently admitting that it wasn't us. I had been too nervous to go to the basement, but it was the same for them. No one locked it, I said, my throat dry as we realized that that thing had an opening. Crap, said C. Someone needs to lock it. Are you out of your mind? growled Leon. If one goes, we all go, I stated, quietly getting up. No point in getting separated. We stand a better chance as a team than we do on our own. Reluctantly, the boys and I grabbed nearby objects and quietly crept out of the office. I had grabbed a broom that was hanging on the hook by the door. Leon had a combat stapler, I guess, and C had a mail opener. We heard the thing move to the front of the house at that point, so we hurried to get to the basement. Carefully, we tried our best to sneak down the old wooden stairs. I used that old trick I'd used to sneak downstairs of the house when my parents were watching TV, so I could sneak some sweets, clinging to the edge of the wall. Once we got to the cold basement, we were huddled together, moving as quickly as a bunch of scared teenagers could, toward the door. The way the basement was set up was like this. There's the staircase leading to an open room surrounded by doors to the boiler, and storage room, with an air hockey table in the center of the room, leading to the movie room, where a couch was, and the door just around the corner. We were trying to be stealthy when the boiler turned on, spooking Leon, who instinctively jumped, going right into the air hockey table, and letting the plastic puck hit the floor. Then we all froze... Although the sound was small, it felt as loud as a fire alarm, and we strained our ears to hear. Quickly, we heard footsteps coming towards the door. Crap, I huffed as I darted from the huddle towards the door. I saw a shadow swiftly dart behind the curtains of the window nearing the door. My heart was pounding. I put my hand forward and prayed under my breath, hoping that I would be faster. Hoping that I would make it to the door first. My shoulder collided with the door as I fumbled against the knob to lock it. As soon as I did, I felt an equal thud on the other end of the door and a loud growl. I basically flew away from the door and into the arms of my friends, who were standing in horror. Through the glass window of the door and the floral white mini curtains, we saw a shadow. Large, covered in hair or fur, Its shoulders were at the midpoint of the window. It was taller than the door, and it growled like a dog would when you kept its bone away from it. I rose to my feet shakily, and I stared at the shadow as I felt it stared right back at me. Leave, I remember commanding under my breath as I felt a surge of electricity go through me. Maybe it was adrenaline, or something else, but it soon growled one more time and then thudded away, its heavy footsteps soon fading. We heard every single agonizing step, though, up the stairs, through the gate. As soon as we could breathe, we bolted back upstairs in the house, and to the office again, calling our parents. We were still teenagers, and there was no way in hell we were going outside. When my mother came to get me, to her reluctance, she said to me that she felt something was there around the house. Something evil and dangerous. And I had told her nothing. Only that I had heard my ankle falling from a tree. That was all the confirmation I needed. I knew that feeling I had was right. And to this day I trust my sixth sense. I advise you all to do the same. The next time you feel yourself being stalked by something sinister. I'll light a candle. Grab some sage. It may sound silly, but it might just save you. Well, there you have it. These monsters may be spooky. They may look fearsome and come running right at you. But then again, they are Canadian. They're probably just offering you a seat at their dinner table and a warm bed to stay in for the night. Good night. If you enjoyed this episode of Darkness Prevails, be sure to like, share, comment, and subscribe. If you have your own story, share it with us at darkstories.org. Before we go, be sure to check the links in the description for links to donate and to get some merch. Now, here are the credits to my amazing patrons who continue to donate. They're awesome people. Remember, stay safe out there and stay creepy because this world is a strange one. Every animal we know of today had to be discovered at one point. Even the fiercest creatures, like gorillas, bears, and others, had to be stumbled upon by man at some point. Could you imagine the stories they told of these creatures? Well, they might sound a lot like these three stories, about people who have cited unexplained creatures, monsters that defy logic and induce a response of fear or confusion. Enjoy these stories, and remember, if you've seen something creepy, or something you can't explain, send it to me at darkstories.org, because I'd love to narrate it. Now, let's begin. I saw it crawling on my neighbor's roof, from Plague Bacon. These incidents occurred over a period of time when I was younger. However, it was only until recently that I connected the dots. I grew up in Louisiana, right on the outskirts of New Orleans. The city itself has so much history, myths, and intrigue surrounding it that I would be remiss to say that I didn't have other experiences involving spirits and all that, but that's a story for another time. Right after Hurricane Katrina... I was displaced by the storm and ended up staying in Florida for a while. While there, it seemed as though every channel on the news had coverage of the horrific event. People's homes were flooded, the roads were blocked, businesses destroyed, and to make things even worse, there were many reports of people committing some heinous crimes. Part of the news covered people trying to escape the storm and the resulting aftermath. The other half seemed to cover the dark side of humanity Vandalism, theft, looting, violence... All of that occurred while others were simply trying to survive. To make matters worse, the prisons were destroyed, and a lot of the city's unmentionable started roaming the area, causing more trouble for the people who were simply trying to exist. Some really horrible stuff went on. Like, sure, this experience involves the aftermath of a horrible storm and the possible encounter with something dangerous and unexplained. But I'll never put it past humans to be the darkest, most cruel creatures in existence. The news covered up a lot of it, of course. This is where people begin to say, then how do you know what really happened if there was a cover-up? And to you I'll say this. I was there in the Superdome. I hid from the prisoners when they broke in, and I, being one of the able-bodied people in the area had to help deal with the people who weren't as fortunate in being able to hide. Coverage about the swamps flooding, animals escaping zoos, as well as creatures from the bayou areas, like alligators and such, were frequent. Many of these dangerous animals made their way into the same broken streets as the ones where there were people simply trying to get back home. So, what I'm trying to say is, all manner of beasts were displaced by the storm, not just humans. But what about the things that we are told don't or shouldn't exist? Is it possible that the storm impacted them as well? A few months after the storm, I eventually moved back to Louisiana, trying to put back the pieces of my own life. I lost a dear friend to looters. My house was in shambles and the majority of my classmates were off in different cities now. Thankfully, I started dating my now wife from Florida. We would take turns visiting each other every other weekend. It was a long distance thing, but we made it work. This is relevant to the story, trust me. One week as I was driving my sister home from the movies, we started talking about lions. She was 13 at the time, and she just got out from seeing the Narnia movie with some friends. We crossed over the small bridge over a canal that led into our subdivision, and as we turned the corner, she said something along the lines of, and Mr. Tumnus started to play a flute, and... Wait, what's a Tumnus again? I asked. She saw my confused face and continued. He's got, like, the legs of a goat... But he has horns and doesn't have any hair on his body, like Phil. You know, from Hercules. She paused mid-sentence. Oh, did Ashley get a new dog or something? She motioned towards our neighbor's yard. I glanced to the left and saw what looked to be a grayish dog, sort of like a greyhound, sitting in their front lawn. Something about it didn't feel right. It was skinny. Like, a little too skinny. Its muzzle looked to be flat, and its legs were longer than I thought they should be. But I was no dog expert by any means. I didn't think too much about it at the time. Uh, Not sure, I said, as we drove past their house. But I can ask later. We drove off, with that dog looking in the direction of our car. Almost as if it were following us with its eyes, but I figured that's what animals do and I cast it off as nothing. Later on, I would text Ashley about her new creepy puppy, but she had no idea what I was talking about. She said, if anything, it was probably some stray that got a whiff of her dogs. Poor thing was probably malnourished if it was as thin as you described. She told me. I wrote it off as whatever and forgot about it entirely for a while. A few weeks later, I was on the phone with my girlfriend, talking about our respective days at school. I walked into the kitchen to grab a Coke. Robin, my sister, was browsing her friend's MySpace pages and listening to Lil Wayne on Pandora. Soon as I walked into the kitchen, I could barely hear what my girlfriend was saying, so I asked Robin if she'd lower the music. She begrudgingly complied after muttering to herself, I grabbed my Coke, a whole bag of chips, don't judge me, and was making my way back upstairs when I heard Robin call to me. ya," she squeaked as I rounded the steps. What's that? Hmm? What do you mean? I heard something outside. I groaned and told my girlfriend to hold on a moment. I went back down into the kitchen to see Robin peeking out through the blinds. Ooh, that dog is back. She said, closing up the laptop and heading towards the stairs. I'll I'll be in my room. That thing gives me the creeps. Sure enough, there it was, sitting at the edge of our property. Trying to sound tough, I told my girlfriend I was going to go outside to scare it off, and I'd call her back. In reality, I wanted to see the thing up close, bring it some food if it wasn't hostile. However, if it was, I didn't want her to hear me scream like a baby. I opened the sliding glass door that led towards my backyard and proceeded to walk over to where Robin saw the dog sitting. Now, to get an understanding of our backyard, it had a cement patio that connected to the grass and at the very end of the yard was a canal. We had cement bases for a fence, but due to the hurricane, all work stopped there. As I approached closer... Its gaunt silhouette started to make me feel uncomfortable. It did that thing with its eyes that nocturnal animals do when they reflect light. You know, making it look even more unsettling. I took a deep breath, and was about to let out a, Hey boy, you hungry? But before those words could leave my mouth, it quickly jolted up, and turned its head back toward the canal. For some reason, this caused me to freeze. The way it moved was wrong. It let out this moan. Maybe it was a growl. Sounded like the combination between a dog's howl and a goat bleeding. It was more melodic, though, if that makes sense. I saw its eyes flash that eerie glow again as it spun its body around and darted down toward the canal. It was creepy, sure, but once more I wrote it off as whatever. Fast forward another week or so, and one of Ashley's dogs was found dead in her backyard. Now, I didn't see it myself, but from the way she described it, the poor thing was torn to shreds. Pieces of fur scattered all over in what appeared to be a struggle. The general consensus was that a bobcat, or some other wildcat, had done it, but she wasn't convinced. But Jux was a mastiff. She kept repeating. There's no way some bobcat got to him like that. Now, I know what you're thinking. It's probably related to that thing I saw, right? It was outside of her house that one night, too. I mean, the thought crossed my mind, but I didn't want to bring it up around her. Later that same day, I was sitting on my roof. I would crawl out of my window from the second story and recline on the rooftop that hung over the garage. This gave me a good view of the neighborhood. I was telling my girlfriend about all that had happened so far, how I kept hearing strange sounds at night, and about how Jacques was found dead. I was in the middle of telling her how these sounds have been increasing in occurrence these past few days, when I heard it again, right there. It sounded louder, closer. Before I could ask if she heard it as well, she asked, confirming that she had heard it too. I then proceeded to tell her my theory on how it was connected to the creepy dog. When the weekend came, my girlfriend was in town to visit, so I took her and my sister out to dinner. It was a nice meal. Steak, potatoes, soda. The latter is important because none of us had any alcohol during the meal. On the drive home, we were discussing the intricacies surrounding religion and faith when Robin screamed. She pointed to the roof of a nearby neighbor's house. In my shock, I slammed on the brakes to get a better look. And that's when we saw it. And I mean, really saw it. It was slender, almost to the point of absurdity, and its limbs were outstretched, joints bent in some unnatural posture. It had pale gray fur, Well, not fur, actually. It was skin. Its skin was pale gray and stretched extremely tight over its body. It was quite unnerving to look at. I sat there, with a foot on my brake, as I tried to make sense of what it was. My sister screamed, Go! I want to go home! Then the creature froze. Wait, I thought. Did it hear us? No, theres there's no way it hurt us. The creature twitched, turning back to face us, once again hitting me with the eerie glow of its eyes. And then it skittered, like the way a lizard does, body close to the surface, over the other side of the roof, towards their backyard. I quickly called my neighbor as soon as we got home and told him that we saw something on his roof. In an attempt to not sound crazy, I said that it looked to be a huge possum crawling around the second story. His reply shocked me. Did it look like a monkey? Wait, what? No, it was... The wife and I have been seeing this monkey-looking thing hanging in the trees at night. We called Animal Control and they said it was probably some possum done escaped from a preserve. But I know what a possum looks like, and that thing ain't no possum. Uh, I was more than a little confused. I, I I guess, I mean, it looked like a long skinny dog or something. We just saw a crop. Craw- yep, that's the one, little man. That's the one. Don't you worry, though, it just sits there staring at nothing. I figure if it means any harm, it would have done so already. He had interrupted me. I guess, I said. Well, I, I just wanted to let you know. It's pretty weird looking. He laughed. Well, if it come in here, I'll knock it dead and mount it on the wall. And that was the end of that. Fast forward to a few weeks ago, early 2020. My wife, the girlfriend from the story, and I ended up moving to Florida, became parents, and were living the good life when my sister and parents came to visit us for the weekend. While the grandparents were enjoying putting our daughter to sleep, Robin suggested looking for creepy videos on YouTube. We're horror buffs, so why not, right? We came across a few scary story channels, but then soon came across another YouTube channel. Wish I could say the name of the channel in the video. But he had a numbered list of the creepiest things ever caught on camera. It went through various ghost sightings, unexplained occurrences, and even dabbled into the unexplained creature territory. This YouTuber started to talk about the rake, a creepypasta creature. As with the other items on the list, it had some photos and videos attached, all of which looked eerie, until we came across one photo, a photo of a long, emaciated creature sitting on all fours. Almost as an aside, Robin said, "'That looks like that thing we saw on the roof. "'Do you remember that, Kuya?' I looked up and squinted. Yeah, kind of. (laughs) I'm surprised you remember that. My wife added, She's right, I remember it as well, and it did look very similar to this. We laughed it off as a strange experience and proceeded to watch the video, which more or less said, Supposedly the rake lives within deep forest. Reports have also cited the creature in places like Louisiana. We all froze the hair on the back of my neck stood up as it all came crashing back. I looked up to see my wife and Robin in similar instances of awe. Well, crap. Now that's creepy, I said. The video proceeded to show more convincing footage of the rake with glowing eyes via a video from a sewer tunnel. You probably know what video I'm talking about. As I watched it, I began to feel uneasy those eyes they pierced through me i mean that's exactly what i remember staring back at me from way before that's even worse i started because that's how i remember the eyes look i cut myself off then the creature in the video ducked out of view moving in that same fluid yet jittery motion as it did on that roof my wife and my sister froze both visibly shaken This sparked a big discussion on cryptids and the like, ending with both my wife and sister telling me to share our story. Someone needs to know something, they said. A thing I forgot to mention earlier was the smell. There was always this dry, musty, rotted smell lingering in the air whenever we remember seeing it. But I couldn't find anything that talked about how the rake smells. So whoever's listening... Did we really encounter the rake back home? Is it possible that there's more than one of these things out there? I mean, what else could it be? I know it's hard to explain, but the creature in that video, it was so similar. The movement, those eyes, one does not forget a sight like that. Not at all. Especially once you've seen it on your neighbor's roof. Pontianak Cries From J. Ion I joined a youth missionary group after high school. Other than going on missions to impoverished areas and visiting disadvantaged communities, we would sometimes be sent to attend something like a summer camp, but with a ton of lectures about faith and physically demanding games and meditation sessions in the middle of thick woods or up on a hill far away from modern civilization. One such camp took us to a mountainous region blanketed by thick foliage, where there were no human settlements for at least 15 kilometers in Indonesia. The only reminder of human life up in those mountains were the sporadic presence of farms, mostly fruit orchards, that permeated the forest every few meters. As it wasn't harvest season, no one stayed on the farms nor nearby. So it was just 30 rambunctious teenagers and young adults with a handful of stern elders for a few nights in a rented manor, which was located next to a banana plantation up on a hill with thick forests. The first day we arrived, all of us were excited, because we really needed the break from everyday life. As none of us attending were Indonesian, we failed to realize that having a banana tree nearby, notwithstanding an entire banana plantation, was very inauspicious. As dusk was approaching, I began to feel as though someone not from our group was watching me from the cover of the trees. I looked out at the trees, where the feeling was most intense, but never managed to spot anything weird. That night after dinner, we were told to play a game of group charades. Some of us had to sit on the veranda outside to brainstorm a game plan. It was out there that I suddenly felt a chill on my back. I had my back to the woods. I turned around to look behind me. My gaze fell on several small lights of greenish-yellow color, speckled across different heights of the forest foliage. Some were stationary, and some were moving about slowly while blinking in and out of existence. Thinking that they were the lights of fireflies, I gazed at them for several minutes, but I noticed that the more I looked... The temperature around me seemed to drop a degree or so every few seconds. When a teammate called out to me, I turned my head to answer his question. Then I looked back at the trees. This time, the moving lights were gone. Only the stationary ones remained. I mentioned what I supposed were fireflies to him, but he, being a science major at university, said it was rare for fireflies to be found up in the hills far from water source, which we were. I pointed at the trees where I saw the lights, but this time even the stationary lights had vanished. I thought myself lucky to have even seen the rare instance of fireflies being so far away from water, but my teammate shrugged off what I'd said. He acknowledged that the temperature on the veranda felt unnaturally cold, though. We were in a tropical region, after all, and it wasn't cloudy or windy. The following evening, we were again on the veranda playing yet another game when I heard a rather high-pitched female moan. I looked around, asking if anyone else had heard it too. None of the male teammates heard a single thing, but the female teammates said they heard a strange high-pitched sound that was similar to a cat's mating call. The sound repeated itself several times throughout the night, with the pitch getting higher and higher each time by the third and final night of our stay some of us were getting spooked this is when i found out i wasn't the only one who felt being watched when the sky began to get dark i definitely wasn't alone in feeling the random and sudden drop in temperatures and there were more than a handful of us at this point who could hear that strange high-pitched sound that night i remember it was three minutes past three i woke up to the sound of a woman's cries but it didn't sound entirely like she was crying either. It sounded like a combination of crying, laughing, shrieking, and moaning that grew louder and louder as if the person was getting nearer to us at high speed. I looked around to make sure it wasn't anyone in the same room having an emotional breakdown, but everyone was sound asleep. No one in the room was awake except for me, and by then the cries were coming from just outside our window. This was located on the second floor of the manor. Although I couldn't see who it was, I'm very sure that the person was either flying or floating. After all, it was 3 a.m., in the woods, up on a hill 15 kilometers from the nearest village, and we were the second story up from the ground. Who in their right mind wants to mess with a bunch of sleeping kids in the middle of nowhere? The cries gradually faded, and I stayed awake for about half an hour before falling asleep again. In the morning, just before leaving camp, our camp counselor, an elderly man who had been there several times now, held a short seminar when he asked if any of us had unusual experiences during our stay. About half of us raised our hands and he merely chuckled, told us that we weren't the only ones. Apparently, that manner had been well known by the missionary group for unexplained phenomena. Every time they held an event here, attendees would report some bizarre incidents, When we were taken out of those hills by our local guide, I told him of my experience the past few nights. He said it was most definitely a Pontianac. He explained that a Pontianac is the vampire spirit of a deceased pregnant woman who had become vengeful. She floats around at night, looking for blood. A Pontianac often has glowing eyes, usually in the hues of red or green or even yellow, They're known for hanging around dark trees during the night, when they're not hunting for blood. But it's favorite hideout during the days within banana trees, where it takes residence in the unripe fruit, or within the trunk of the tree. The creepy combination of cries, laughter, shrieks, and moans, they're meant to confuse and lure victims by sounding like a damsel in distress, or a child in trouble. Appearance-wise, our local guide said a Pontianac has long hair, sharp claws, things, and wears either a green, red, or white dress, in addition to having the aforementioned glowing eyes. It levitates and flies around, looking for prey at night, but some have been known to be out and about during the day, too, but have to remain in the shade and less noisy in crowded areas. When he was done telling us about this, I was freaking out. I was in shock, basically realizing that I may have come close to a real, undead creature. The local guide explained that no one lives near that hill we had our camp on, because it has a large banana plantation, and a very old, disused cemetery where the remains of several Pontianacs and those of unborn children are. That's why the manor we stayed in was so affordable, and the cost of the camp was very low. No one else was willing to take up the place, because of the location. I shudder every time I recall that horrible sound, and I'm extremely grateful that I didn't try to look out the window, because I don't think I can handle the sight of seeing a floating dead woman. Werewolf Encounter from Ike Inc. I uh, don't enjoy camping all that much, but after this encounter, it made me change my mind a bit. It was in the middle of January. My friend Jay called me about wanting to go camping for the weekend. I sighed and told him I'm not much of a camper, but he insisted it'd be fun. He had a good point about me trying new things and all that. Well, he convinced me, so I agreed to join him he arranged what day and time we'd head off. Fast forward a few days, and I was helping Jay load up his truck, and soon we were on our way. During the drive, Jay mentioned that we're not going to a normal camping spot, rather a secret spot he had been going to since last year. I didn't like the idea of that at first, but at the same time I preferred the quality bro time with Jay, since it had been a while since I got to talk to him last So I obliged. After an hour had passed, we made it to this secret camp area. And color me impressed. It was a nice small opening with trees surrounding it. Pretty cozy, if you ask me. After me and Jay set up camp, we spent the rest of the day catching up and cooking up some canned soup for dinner. Evening came around, and it was getting dark pretty quick. I had to go number one and excused myself. I walked into the forest to find a good spot to do my business. I was smart enough to not go too far. I made sure I could still see the light of the fire from the campsite. After I found a good spot, I did what I had to do. Although I had a weird feeling of being watched that whole time. There was no fear or sense of dread. It was just a calming vibe. It's sort of hard to explain. I ignored it and finished up. As I turned around to start heading back to camp, I caught sight of two big glowing blue eyes looking at me from a close-by tree. This surprised me, made me jump a bit even, but I stayed calm. The emotions running through me were curiosity, awe. The eyes blinked once until they began to move slowly towards me. A silhouette of a large wolf-like thing came into view from what little light the moon gave off. I thought it was a wolf or a large dog, but it wasn't quite that. It was crawling on all fours, sniffing at me, looking very curious. It was about maybe five or six feet tall. It had darkish gray fur with some white in it. It was slender, but very defined muscularly. The hands ended in sharp claws. I also noticed that the thing was female. She inched closer and started to sniff my coat, cocking her head almost curiously. I was amazed at what I was looking at, but that didn't last long. My friend was calling out for me and that caused this female wolf thing to look at the direction of my friend, back at me. Then she stood up a bit, licked my forehead, and bounded off into the dark. I was still amazed in trying to process what I saw before Jay found me, asking if everything was alright. I said yeah, but I didn't tell him what I saw. For the rest of the trip, I kept looking out in the forest in hope of seeing this creature again, but it never happened. A shame. Regardless of my experience, I would not recommend assuming these things or anything like it are always friendly. If you enjoy camping... If you see something unnatural, always be cautious. Animals are fascinating. Nature has pressured them for millions of years to create creatures of every sort of shape and size. And despite how smart humans have gotten, there are still creatures that elude us, creatures we still can't understand. In our age of technology and understanding, there are still legends to fear. Good night. If you enjoyed this episode of Darkness Prevails, be sure to like, share, comment, and subscribe. If you have a story of your own to share with us, send it over at darkstories.org and I might narrate it. If you want to support the show, check the links in the description. And until next time, here are the credits to my amazing patrons who continue to donate to keep us afloat. Remember, stay safe out there and stay creepy because this world is a strange one. From disturbing things seen while hiking, to homes that are filled to the very tip top with demons. These are a variety of allegedly true scary stories that will haunt your night and week to come. Enjoy these stories, and be sure to share your own story with me at darkstories.org, because I'd love to narrate it on the show. Now, let's begin. Dear in the Winter Snow From Black Sun Well, I've held on to this story for a while, knowing that most won't believe me or my friends. Well, it starts one winter in North Georgia. Me and a couple of friends of mine wanted to go camping. It was going to snow, and it was going to snow a lot. 11 inches in total, I think. We were excited, because it didn't snow much here, especially in large amounts like this. We knew we couldn't actually use any tents because of the temperature, but one of my oldest family members had a cabin in the rural area of Gilmer County. It didn't have any power, but it was excluded, surrounded only by woods, a pig trail leading to the cabin, which was just big enough for the ATVs. The four of us grabbed everything from our homes and met up at the base of the trail. I saw that my friend Roger brought his dog, Klein, a massive mastiff, the largest dog I'd ever known, but very friendly and gentle. We got ready to go onto the trail, which would be a two-hour trip into the woods. About an hour into the trip, we stopped because Terry had to go pee, but Roger's dog was getting upset for whatever reason. He kept on grunting and growling. We figured he was needing to use the restroom, too. After we got started again, the snow started to fall, and by ten minutes in, it was already lying on the ground and getting dark. About 15 minutes away from the cabin, Roger's dog Klein is now in full protective mode, barking and growling. We went around the next bend in the trail to stop to see a deer in the middle of the trail, just staring at us, and Klein was on his stomach, whimpering now. That deer, though... I was confused about it. It wouldn't move or run from us. It just stayed there and stared. We eventually just drove around it, The deer only moved a little bit, making sure to keep us in its sight. I felt uneasy, but my friends got me over it as soon as we got to the cabin. The snow was about five inches by then, so we first got the fire started in the fireplace. We got all of our stuff off the ATVs and settled in for tomorrow. We planned on driving all over the mountain. We soon went to sleep, but I still got this uneasy feeling. I had a dream about that darned deer. The following day, we had fun racing through the mountains and playing in the snow until dark. Then we went back to the cabin to prepare for the next day, as we'd have to leave for home then. We got some supper cooked up, which was a learning process, I'll tell you that. But we soon had it figured out and settled in for the night, when Roger told Klein to go out and use the restroom before going to bed. It didn't take long for Klein to begin barking like mad. He was on the porch growling and barking, scratching at the door, and Rogers got up to get him. But before he could open up the door, we heard him yelp, and what sounded like him getting ripped off the porch aggressively by something. We opened the door quickly and saw only scratch marks on the porch, and there were a few spots of red. What happened? I asked. What's going on? Roger replied with, I don't know. Klein's gone. I go out on the front porch. It's close to dark, but visible enough to see to the forest line. I followed the trail of red with my eyes, and I could see where it ended. I grabbed a flashlight, and I saw that deer again. It was standing over Klein, who wasn't moving. They were about 150 feet away from the cabin the deer was staring at us again, its mouth now covered in a red fluid. In a panic, I pushed Roger back into the cabin and slammed the door shut, locking it, hoping he hadn't seen what I saw. I wanted to keep it to myself, but everyone was looking at me, wanting to know what I saw. I asked them if they remembered the deer from before. It was that, but Klein seemed to be dead. When I told them I think the deer had killed Klein, they looked scared and confused. All of a sudden, one of the other guys yelled. I looked at him and he was pointing at the window. I looked over and I saw that deer. Between the time of me getting in the house and telling everyone, which was only a few seconds really, that deer had made it to the window to watch us. That in itself seemed unnatural. It began to walk around the outside walls, scratching at them, maybe with its hooves or maybe with its antlers. It did this for a while, then finally walked away. And when it walked away, the last thing we heard was a blood-curdling scream, as unnatural as that deer was. We did not sleep that night, and as soon as the sun was high, we took off leaving most of our stuff, only to get the heck out of there. It only took us half the time to get out of the woods, as it did to get in. When I made it back home, my great-uncle asked what was wrong. He could see it on my face that something had happened. I told him everything. He looked at me and hugged me, telling me he was glad that I was okay. But he told me that he had experienced something similar, and that at the time no one believed him. But now he was thankful he wasn't going crazy. As for Roger and the other guys, we pretty much split up after that. Roger moved away to the city. As for me, I still wonder what's out there, and I want evidence of it. I still go to that cabin, ready to take pictures or record video. But I've never seen it again. But randomly, on occasions that I cannot plan for, I do hear it scream. I can't explain this. From Jane L. When I was in college, I lived in a small apartment complex that was close to an old cemetery. I'd have to pass the cemetery every day on my way home from school, but it was usually during early evening hours when it was still light out and some people were somewhat around. On this particular day, I forgot my bag in class, which had my wallet, makeup, and other important valuables in it. It was because I had to use the bathroom before leaving, like a dunce, so I forgot it and left without it. By the time I realized I'd forgotten it, I was already three quarters home, and it was almost dark out. Nevertheless, I needed my bag, and so I had to go back and get it. I didn't want anyone to steal it, or risk having my identity stolen. That would be a whole new, bigger mess. On the way there, the cemetery was quite spooky. There was just an old rusty gate between the sidewalk and the graves, but there was a bit of light still. A couple of people were walking on the same block. This did put my nerves at ease for a while. I successfully made it to my bag and retrieved it, thankful that no one had taken it. I checked and made sure everything was in it too, and it was. I continued on my way back home after that. It was supposed to be a simple walk through town. So simple, how was I to know what was about to come next? It was dark, and I came to the street and turned the corner. It was dimly lit by a single street lamp, and now no one was around. I paused, looking toward the cemetery gate that I'd passed earlier. I could still see the first few headstones, but the rest had now disappeared into pitch-black darkness. There was no way around this block, as I needed to walk past this quiet street in order to get onto a footbridge that crossed a highway. It was my only way. Hesitant, I took a deep breath, and I swiftly began to walk. I crossed over to the other side of the street and I began to hum loudly to put myself out of my fears, to ease my nerves. But it only worked a little bit. I made it roughly halfway through the block, when suddenly I heard the voice of a child in the direction of the cemetery. He was... he was screaming. Help me, he kept saying and calling out. I froze, terrified. I tried to breathe in, but no air would come inside. I tried to turn my head, but it took so much more energy than usual, as if I had been stuck in the most viscous fluid in existence. It felt as if someone had stopped the flow of time for me, but the rest of the world had kept going. Just then, I noticed something lurking in the cemetery. It was unmistakable, two eyes reflecting light that wasn't there. It was looking at me, And whatever it was knew I was looking at it. I tried to yell, tried to scream, but only muffled whimpers came out. I was trapped, and there was obviously no way I was getting out of there alive. Deep inside I knew that I was a goner. It felt weird to do it, but I suddenly just gave up and succumbed to my fear. My mind fell blank and my body was rigid, like some sort of android. I accepted what was going to happen to me, and I made peace with the darkness. I slowly turned away from the cemetery and continued walking in the direction I was going, like a mindless zombie. In my mind, I felt I had nothing to gain and nothing to lose. But as I walked, I suddenly heard whatever was in the cemetery, beginning to laugh loudly... Laugh at me. This time, it was not only a child's voice, but the voice of an old woman and an older man, all at the same time. It slowly began saying, You. 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 It just grew louder and louder as I walked away. The further away I got from it, the fainter it became, but it was constantly saying that to me and laughing until I was too far away to hear it. I will unfortunately always remember that night and always wonder what it was. I tried to rationalize the experience by saying it was probably just a crazy person doing crazy things to scare people or something along those lines. But that really doesn't explain anything, I've walked past there many times before, but always with people, always in the daytime. One thing is for sure, you won't find me walking by a cemetery alone at night ever again. Demons in my childhood home from Euphonium at Bandcamp. I lived in my childhood home in Las Vegas, Nevada, from 1998 to 2013. My family moved in there when I was five, and we left when I turned 19. So I spent a solid portion of my life in that home. I even still have regular nightmares that take place there, as if the demons who haunted me then will never let me be, even in my dreams... So we lived in a big 1970 style home, and the bad juju began right off the bat. A construction worker had died while digging the in-ground pool, apparently falling into the eight-foot pit while holding a rather sharp tool. He died only minutes after falling. Add onto this the fact that our hastily built and shakily built home was being financed by some very shady people. Anyway, the home was on the outskirts of a town. There was really nothing but desert beyond it. Dirt roads and all that. It was definitely the perfect spot for shady business deals or a shallow grave. While living there, we actually found a fairly big, gallon-sized mason jar, filled to the brim with gold watches, pendants, necklaces, rings, even golden teeth in the crawlspace under the stairway when we moved in. So enough of the history of the place. Let's move on to the experiences my family and even friends regularly encountered there. We had at least four different entities in this home, I think, two of which were demonic. Normal, every day and every night occurrences, including footsteps, flickering lights, knocks, heavy breathing and talking, objects being moved and manipulated. You could also physically feel something oppressive in certain parts of the house, at night, I had to let out my last set of dogs, as we had eight of them. This included a Doberman Pinscher and a Pitbull that lived in our living room. The bottom of the doorway had a door with two locks in the knob and a deadbolt type of lock. Every night, my last chore would be to let them out and feed and water them, then lock up. As soon as the deadbolt slid into the latch when I was locking up, I could feel something literally hanging on my back. Feeling that sensation of instant weight on my back gives me chills just thinking about it. It was heavy, evil, sinister. This began to happen every night I lived there for nine years straight, never failing. It was so bad that I would often slide my back in the walls or doorway to try and get it off my back. It literally felt like something was there, a growth or something latching on to me. There were also these kitchen disturbances. Cabinets would often open up, all 13 of them completely ajar without explanation. Things would clatter and bang, but one day we heard a huge crash, followed by our cats and dogs running for their dear lives, away from that unseen force. When we went to check, we ended up stepping on glass which had somehow been flung from the kitchen to this corner, meaning that whatever had broken dishes or glass in the kitchen had done so violently. Upon closer inspection, they'd tossed two glass pans meant for baking. These were old and very sturdy, even if thrown with full force at the floor. It should have simply cracked at most. But these suckers, they'd been tossed in the ground and seemingly trampled because the glass itself was minuscule, nearly dust at this point. Imagine thousands or even tens of thousands of tiny glass pieces broken from a pan. It was so bad we even found glass shards here and there for years to come. One night I fell asleep in my father's hospital bed in the den. My dad was asleep in his room and my mom was asleep in hers. I was half asleep until I started to hear something in my ear. This caused me to be brought fully awake, and the sound grew louder and louder. I knew something was wrong. The more I hoped it was just a dream, the more I realized it was real, and I began to grow terrified. My eyes shot open, and I noticed that there were no animals in the room with me. With as many pets as we had, one of them was always nearby. But this time, something had perhaps spooked them out of the room. Within seconds of opening my eyes, I was bombarded by the deepest growl that I'd ever heard. I won't forget it. Nothing comes close to the bass it produced and the evil you could feel within it. It was being projected straight into my right ear, and I could even feel hot breath in my ear. I sat there, paralyzed for a couple of minutes. After that time, it seemed to stop. Eventually, I got the courage to jump up and run to my dad's room with him, to sleep next to him. I was way too scared to sleep on my own for a while, even though I was sixteen at the time. Now the dogs and cats sensed some entities as well. You don't really know real fear until you walk up the stairs to see three dogs and six cats, all of them staring at the same spot on the ceiling, their heads slowly following something that a human eye cannot see, back and forth in the dark corner of the upstairs hallway. I saw this on multiple occasions, and at one point when I was up there, one of the cats hissed, and they ran with their tails puffed, hackles raised fleeing full speed away, hiding under tables and beds. Before I left being creeped out, I felt an ice-cold breeze blow by me, as if whatever had scared that cat wanted me to know that it was there. All the crap that went on in that house, I could be here all day writing. It was like the house itself wasn't exactly haunted, but cursed by some bad spirits or something. That place was truly the home of whatever could go wrong, would go wrong. Water would leak from the ceilings. Some of the floors were stained with water so bad that it felt more like stepping on mud. We even had lightning strikes right next to the home dozens of times. You could go out and see the burn marks after it happened. Not to mention the house was sinking into the earth inches per year. We would joke and say that they didn't lay a foundation in it, because, quote-unquote, that's where they buried the bodies. I'm not sure I believed that, but now I'm starting to. I wasn't the only one to see things. My boyfriend and friend came over at one point. We were sitting on a big queen-sized bed. We had been hearing things, so we were huddled up together, kind of creeped out. Suddenly, we heard a cat yowling from the dark hallway. And a few seconds later, a shoe came hurtling from the darkness, hitting the wall behind us with a loud thud. No one else was in the house. On another occasion, I had a friend over, who had fallen asleep on the downstairs couch at around 3 a.m. I went to bed upstairs, since there wasn't enough room for both of us. I came back down at 7.30, and he was now wide awake and pale as a ghost. He says he had just seen some faceless dark thing floating from the kitchen and following me upstairs when I had just recently left, but then it departed from me to float into my mom's room. All of this still bothers me, terrifies me, though we don't live there anymore. I have nightmares and dreams about all this stuff, and I'm worried that one day I'll move into a home that's just as haunted, or worse. The woods are not a good place to rest. From Mr. Jump6000. Just writing this out, I feel as if I'm being watched. This happened to me and a friend of mine when we turned 19. It was about five years ago now. It was 2015, and we were feeling a bit bored. So we went out for a walk in the woods to ease our minds and bodies. We were pretty tired though and we weren't paying much attention to where we were going. So we were soon lost or maybe we were just too tired to want to go back yet. We soon hunkered down under a tree listening to some podcasts together. Now the two of us had been in Boy Scouts together and had hunted together often. We'd taken plenty of survivalist training together. Now back to the story. As we sat there under the tree headphones in We soon fell asleep, side by side. I woke up sometime in the middle of the night. My friend was still next to me, sound asleep. But I was hearing something strange. A sort of screeching sound. And it wasn't too distant. When the screeching sound went full out, sounding right next to us, I was horrified. I shook my friend to get him awake, but he wouldn't budge. So I dumped some water on him. He was mad for a moment but I told him to shush and listen and the sound came again. He was groggy of course having just wakened but I was terrified and ready to leave so I dragged him by the arm and I ran full speed through the woods back to the truck we had taken to the entrance of the woods. We didn't hear anything else until we made it out of the woods. We were climbing into my truck when suddenly something landed on the roof and began to make this snapping sound. It was sort of moist, like someone trying to mimic an insect noise with their mouth. I put the pedal to the metal, and I went way too fast through that trail. Eventually, the snapping sound stopped, and I watched through the rearview mirror as a silhouette jumped away from the hood of my truck, jumping from tree to tree. It wasn't a bird, that was for sure, but whatever it was, it was big and it did have these odd-looking wings. I'm not sure what it was, but it hasn't deterred me from going hunting or walking in the woods. But I can't say the same for my friend, who seems to be afraid of the forest these days. But I can't really blame him. Creature in my house, from Murph17. This happened about two years ago, but it was so haunting that I remember it quite vividly still. My immediate family and I are a large family of Christians. We believe in God and angels. We believe in Satan and demons. So whenever my family and I move into a new home, my parents would have us all pray for it, praying for any and all evil there to leave the house in the name of Jesus Christ. My parents said that doing so would make any evil being in the house leave, because we had power over them in his name. But that doesn't mean that it will keep other evil beings out. My parents would often tell me that whenever we had visitors that aren't believers, there's always the possibility that demons could enter our home with those visitors. As to not scare the other children, my parents would only tell us older kids about this, which at the time were my younger twin sisters and I. i have been into all things horror and supernatural since I was 13, so the thought of demons actually existing in our world was fascinating, but also slightly frightening. I didn't really know what to think of it, because nothing paranormal had ever happened to me before. I brushed this off thinking that paranormal things hardly happen to people, so it probably would not happen to me. I want to give you a good idea of what the downstairs looked like before I get into what happened. When you walk down the stairs, there's a big room that's like a second living room. and had a puzzle-like couch, some toys, and a big TV. Past this second living room was a hallway where most of the kids' bedrooms were. As you walk down the hallway on the left, there was my younger twin sister's room, my room, and a room that all of my younger brothers shared. And to the right, right across from my room, was the bathroom. The bathroom was bigger than average. It had a long counter with two sinks, a toilet, and a shower with a textured sheer slider door. One day, my parents invited a couple over to our house to just hang out, have food, and talk. Us kids were here to stay downstairs, so we weren't chaotic around the couple. Everything seemed normal and my parents had fun with the couple. After they left, though, it was time for all the kids except for me to go to bed. After helping to get all of the little kids to bed, I walked down the stairs to go to the bathroom and brush my teeth. As I walked down the hallway, I saw that the lights were off and the door was slightly opened. I didn't think much about it, of course, because I figured one of my siblings must have left it open. I opened the door, and before I could reach to turn the lights on, I froze. There was this thing that was maybe ten feet away from me, squatting and hunched over next to our toilet. I audibly gasped. It looked tall, extremely tall, even though it was hunching over. Its whole body was so thin, and it had really long fingers, too. I couldn't make out any other details, because it was just too dark to see anything else. But then it noticed me, and quickly turned its head to look at me. Then I saw its eyes were huge, and they were glowing yellow. After a few seconds, I quickly turned on the lights, and as soon as I did, the thing disappeared with the darkness. I screamed in terror, running back a few feet, I didn't know what to do. Where'd it go, I thought. I was in denial, saying that that's impossible, that that can't be real. I ran up the stairs and immediately got my dad. I cried and cried, telling him what had happened. After I calmed down a bit, we went downstairs together and prayed. I felt this dark feeling disappeared after we prayed. I felt a little bit better, but I decided to look up what I'd seen. Nothing matched exactly, but I did find stories of skinwalkers, wendigo, crawlers, and things like that. Eventually, I was able to go to sleep, but it took a few hours. I wish I could say that that was all that happened, but something else happened a couple of days later. A quick note... My brothers have an air filter in their room. It helps them sleep. So while all my younger brothers were sleeping one night, the oldest one, August, could not sleep because of an eerie feeling he had. Everything was pretty dark at the time, except for the blue light from his air filter. August said that when he looked over at it, he saw a creature that appeared goat-like, close to the air filter, He said it had the head of a goat, but he had a torso with no limbs. Now this is the part that really freaked me out. He said that the goat creature had glowing yellow eyes, just like the thing I had seen. I felt my stomach drop. My parents don't really talk about paranormal things except with the older kids, and he was pretty young, so when he told my parents, they instantly believed him and told him that we'd all pray together downstairs. We did, and thankfully nothing else happened while we lived in that house. Well, it wasn't really nothing, I guess, because after that, on rare occasions, I would experience sleep paralysis, and I would feel something watching me. It happened in every house after that, too. I would look, and I wouldn't see anyone there. It was dark in my room, after all, but I would feel this pain in my chest, and I could feel that whatever was watching me was getting closer by the second. The closer this thing got, the more my chest hurt. I could feel it get so close that it felt as if my ribcage was going to break in two, and my heart was going to burst. At that point, I was always able to move a finger, and when I did, the feeling would go away. I really hope that whatever was in that bathroom and what's watching me sleep now aren't the same thing. It's been two years, and I don't like thinking that this creature is the persistent type. When the fog comes out from Jessam123 I live in Sacramento, California, and I had an encounter of huge proportion with an unknown creature. I was spending some time with an elderly friend of mine in Stockton, California. It was a week before Christmas. I had done my duties as a caregiver there, and it was getting late and very cold. It must have been around 3.10am when I was leaving and saying my goodbyes. I began to drive away from that little trailer park area in my little white car. When fog began to envelop my vehicle, the fog was so dense I couldn't see more than 10 feet in front of me, and I was beginning to get worried. I slowed the car down, but somehow I was able to hear footsteps outside. I didn't pay much attention at first. By 3:20 am, the footsteps had kept on coming so I drew down the driver's side window. I could hear the steps more clearly. I could see someone running on the side of the road. I was surprised. I remember thinking, who could be out so early in the morning, dressed in black, running on the side of the road in this kind of fog? Curiosity began to take over. I needed to have a look at this. Suddenly, a stench like death and decay came in through the window. I wanted to gag it was like rancid rotting meat dread and fear started taking over my curiosity by then I was driving next to the thing and I could make it out in more detail this thing was huge its legs were taller than my car it was hairy black in color it was catching up at 40 miles per hour and soon it noticed I was looking at it It pounced towards my car, latching onto my side mirror and shoving its face into the driver's side window. I got a good look at it. A look then that I realized I didn't want. Its face was the stuff of nightmares. Its eyes seemed to glow or reflect orange. It didn't have a snout. Instead, it had two skeletal slits for a nose and its mouth had a horrifying smile to it which was open enough for me to see two rows of sharp teeth, each tooth being around two inches long. It seemed to be mocking me, as if saying that you could be my dinner tonight. My dread was palpable. I was not about to die this way. I sped up to 65 miles per hour, but somehow it was still keeping speed with me. I began to scream like some sort of scared child, This was my boogeyman, and I did not want to go out this way, being eaten by something like that. I sped up to 80 miles per hour. Keep in mind, I had no visibility. I was surprised I didn't die through a car crash. I was crying, tears falling down my cheeks, my pants becoming moist from me soiling myself. Suddenly, it let go of the mirror and ran off to the side of the road into a walnut orchard. It disappeared. I was too scared to slow down, though. I kept going at that insane speed until I hit the highway, thankful that I hadn't crushed my car into a tree. My adrenaline was still pumping. I felt as if I was going insane. And even with the thick mist or fog outside, even having sped a few miles away from that thing... I swear I could still smell it. I smelled that rancid, rotten smell all the way home. But I didn't make it all the way home right away. A few miles up the road, I stopped again, having spotted a waving woman on the side of the freeway. Her car had died. Now, I'll be honest here. I did not stop because I was a good Samaritan. I stopped because I feared that that thing would eat her and I know that that would be a painful death. I had a charge box in my car. I took it out and helped her out. I tried to explain to her that the walnut orchard might have something in it that we don't want to be around for, but she looked at me like I was funny. Once we got her car started, she took off, and I did as well. Eventually, the fog began to dissipate, and the smell was gone with it. I began to calm down, And I started to wonder, the fog and then the smell and then that creature, were they related? Whenever another fog like that comes again, am I going to be scared? Should I be? Drive safe, everyone, and don't be rubbernecking for things on the side of the road, because some of those things, well, they might just want to eat you. What the heck was that thing? From The Mental. I'm a guy in my mid 20s living in the United States. I love the outdoors hunting, fishing, camping, hiking. These were my regular activities, especially with my dad. We used to partake in them regularly when I was growing up. I never did lose that passion, and I ensure that I always had time for my outings. These outings seem to calm me, or they used to. Recently, I've been encouraging my friends to join me on these adventures, as just like my dad, I believe it's great for the soul to get in touch with your surroundings, to remind yourself that you are still a part of nature. Luckily for us, our town is surrounded in great hiking trails and lots of explorable national parks. I was with my friends TJ and FR. I'd once again convinced my two friends to accompany me on a hike and had picked a brilliant trail. It was the furthest we would have been so far, a four hour round trip through some of the finest pine forests in North America. As usual, the start of the hike was met with sulking from my two friends, but I knew they'd liven up eventually. They always did. They enjoyed the outdoors even if they didn't admit it. Sure enough, ten minutes in and we were all joking and enjoying the fresh air, as well as the freedom of the bright spring day. The trail was well walked and relatively easy terrain. We even passed a few other walkers, coming back to the entrance of the trail. I guess that makes what happened even more strange at roughly the point in which the trail is at its deepest into the wilderness. I began to hear a rustling of leaves about 50 feet off the trail. I stopped, and I whispered to my friends to be quiet. The way the light filtered through the dense trees created a very atmospheric scene, perfect for what I thought was going to be a close encounter with a deer. However, as I began to focus on the sound, I started to feel confused. Worried, even. The rustling sound was uneven, like a short burst of noise, a pause, and then a continuation. We could very easily follow the path of the animal on sound alone, which was not something you'd hear from a deer. As we all stood on the trail, staring into the thick trees, we began to make out movement. Now, this is going to sound crazy, but it was a man wearing full hiking gear, but he was sporadically dancing and leaping between trees. It looked to be like some sort of ballet, except he was perfectly clearing fallen logs and rocks, skipping in and out of the trees like it was nothing, so gracefully. I looked toward the others to see if they were seeing what I was seeing, and sure enough, they both had grins plastered on their faces, staring at the now pirouetting man. What the heck is he doing? My friend whispered, trying to hold back a laugh. I looked at him, a smile forming on his face. Maybe he's drunk, I mouthed, and I looked back at the man. He had stopped about 30 feet away from us, still within the tree line. He was staring right back at us. Confusion began welling up in me again. The way he was standing there, It was so odd. The only way I can describe it is he was like a cowboy in an old western standoff. His legs were at shoulder width and his arms were by his side as if he was ready to grab some kind of sidearm. But it was his face that really began to disturb me. It was all normal, sure, except for the fact that the man looked dead. His eyes were droopy, His mouth was slack-jawed and hung open just slightly. His skin was also pale. My smile began to fade, and he continued to stare us down. Now, I wish to God that I could say he began to sprint at us or yell at us or something, but he did something much more terrible. Without moving his body, his head started to turn to the right, further and further, further. It got to the point in which a normal human's head would have stopped, but with an audible pop and snap, his head began to twist further and further until we were staring into the back of his head, his body not moving an inch. My smile had long since been replaced with a look of horror. What is all I could breathe? And just like that, like he had never stopped at all, the man began pirouetting and leaping through the trees away from us, his head still facing 180 degrees the wrong way. I could see his slacked jaw bouncing up and down like it was completely dislocated. We stood there until the rustling noise was distant and fading. My mind was working overtime to figure out what my eyes had just seen. I looked at the others. They were white as ghosts wearing the same look of absolute horror that I knew I was sporting. Without a word, all three of us began running at full speed back down the trail, terrified beyond belief. We didn't see him again, and I'm certain he was not human. I often wonder what the point of that encounter was, It was the most disturbing thing I'd ever seen, and it has stuck in my head ever since that day. I've developed a bit of insomnia since then, and I stopped going outside too often, terrified that I'll run into that dancing man of a creature again. My friends don't even speak of it, and all three of us barely talk anymore. I just wish I could erase that memory, get rid of the sound of his cracking neck from my mind. What the heck was out there? What a variety of stories we've had today. Dancing zombie hikers, hungry carnivorous deer, Christians being haunted by bathroom demons. Well, I can kind of relate to the bathroom demon thing pretty well, but that's a different story for a whole different lifetime. Good night. If you enjoyed this episode of Darkness Prevails, be sure to like, share, comment, and subscribe. If you have your own story to share, go to darkstories.org. I'd love to narrate your story on this channel. If you want to support the show, check the links in the description. And until next time, here are the credits to my amazing patrons who donate and help me out a lot. Remember, stay safe out there and stay creepy because this world is a strange one.